Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 47 of the Jacobin Sports Show. 47, of course, the number worn by New York Met great Jesse Orozco. Amazing. 1986 American League, sorry, National League Championship Series MVP. And the man on the mound when Marty Barrett, who had otherwise hit like 900 in that World Series, struck out to end it. I am Matthew Miranda, joined, as always, by the post-pubescent Jonah Birch. Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know exactly 30 years ago where was Jonah Birch? How was Jonah Birch? Who was Jonah Birch 30 years wow. ago today? Jonah Birch lived in the great state of Massachusetts in uh, Jamaica Plain uh, on, on Sheridan Street off of Hyde Square in Jamaica Plain for all of you Bost- Bostonians out there. And Jonah Birch was approaching his his ninth birthday thirty years ago. So ninth birthday, yeah. Nice. There you go. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Where was Matthew Miranda? Thirty years ago, ninety-two. Oh God, thirty years ago, Matthew Miranda had just fallen pretty hardcore for the Knicks. Um, like to the point that I remember very. I was very proud that I could go to school. With every single article of clothing I wore having something Nick related, including my hot Ewings that I had to order, my Ewing sneakers that I had to order from the factory because my feet were too big to get them at the store. And Madison Square Garden actually, for a hot minute, had my name on file because they, they asked for it because they heard of this 14-year-old who had size 15 feet. And wow. I suppose you and I, I just, size fifteen feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how tall? How tall are you? I'm six feet. I, I, I look like I live on skis. It's like ridiculous. Um, but I, I was, I was all. I was the only kid in my school with a mustache. I was in seventh yeah. or eight, I was in eighth grade. I was the only kid with a mustache, and I don't mean a wispy teenage. Like <laughs> we have testosterone in my culture. I had like a, a mustache, <laughs> a mustache. And I was just getting into Public Enemy um, and reading reading uh, Alex Haley and Malcolm X. Hey. Um, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. It takes a nation of millions. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I was 30 years ago. Today, Damn. in yeah. the here and now, we're going to talk a number of stories. Um, we're going to talk about a little NBA, a little English Premier League, particularly some stuff on and off the pitch with Manchester City. The big NFL story, the Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson exchange, and everything that goes around that. A little shot in Freude at the expense of the shortstopless New York Yankees, and maybe oh, a couple yeah. other things that will come up. But let's start NBA, Jonah. And where do you want to start in the NBA? I, I know I what I want to start. About. You you know where I want to start in you know in Denver, the the Sunshine <sighs> State, where. <laughs> where where Nikola Jokic, the Joker, just got absolutely strangled by by the hottest, possibly best team in the NBA, your Boston Celtics, just gave them a ass whooping last night. I mean, the second quarter last night was of that Celtics Nuggets game on Sunday night was one of the best. It, it was one of the best quarters of basketball I've seen a team play in in quite a while, and afterwards. Grant Williams demanded to be known, apparently, via Jalen Brown as Batman. Saw that. And Saw no that. one could figure out why he wanted to be called Batman. 
until okay. they were like, because he shut down the Joker. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never liked Grant Williams more than when I heard that story. Um, yeah. I kind of liked him in general, but I was like, okay, Grant Williams. I see that. You got a little cleverness there. I mean, I, I'll tell you this. Everything is clicking for that team. One of the underrated moves get in, in terms of getting rid of Schroeder, you know, and who who was sent out at the trade deadline is that Peyton Pritchard is is hot. He's hotter than the sun from three-point land. And mm-hmm. it's clear that he, uh, as an offensively, complements Jason Tatum so much better, so effective with his outside shooting. And surrounding Jason Tatum with shooters is so important for that team, you know, offensively. And they are just... I mean, it's it seems entirely possible they're going to finish in the second seed. Yeah, they have a shot. Yeah, twenty one and four, I believe, in their last twenty five. Just a really uh, a, a team that is dominating at this point. So yeah, I mean, they're rolling. Um, they definitely have a shot to pass Philadelphia. They are. I can't quite figure them out in terms of what I think their ceiling is. It did seem like in that for some reason that Denver game really brought the non-Celtic fan flowers. Like that night, everybody I knew was tweeting about how great the Celtics are. I would point out that this is not, you know, the Denver Nuggets of full capacity, but but Denver is a tough place to win no matter what. And the Celtics didn't just win there. Like, as you said, they won convincingly. The defense is a beautiful thing. Um, you've got scores. They I, just I don't... passed every test, you know, recently. I mean... But uh, last week it was Golden State they strangled right. and, you know, right. I, anyway. Is there any team in the East that you think is definitely better than the Celtics? No, absolutely not. Nope. If Eric Adams flips around the private uh, mask rules and Kyrie can play and Ben Simmons' herniated disc somehow corrects itself – are you worried about the Nets? Worried about? Sure. Yeah. But do you yeah, I mean, the think Nets, they're head and no. shoulders above the Celtics? No, absolutely not. Definitely not. Phoenix? No. They, Anybody in the league? No. I mean, they're... Wow. I mean, there's obviously... I, I'm not... They. It, it, it isn't that the Celtics are definitely... I mean, 538 has them, you know, their their rankings as the Celtics is the clear favorite to win it all by a mile. I, I don't think that. I, I wouldn't even favor them in a series with Milwaukee or mm. yeah, full full strength Nets team, but are they clearly worse or the Suns? Are they clearly worse than any of those teams? No. No, they're mm. not. And and their defense is so good. Uh and you know they there's such clarity about roles now. The depth is emerging. I mean, they've managed to play Al Horford very few minutes the last couple of games, in large part because Daniel Tice is, is playing great suddenly once again. You know, he comes back to the Celtics, and he's he's uh, uh, more than he's beyond serviceable as a as a legit big option. They now have four. I would say quality rotation big men, Horford, Rob Williams, Tice, and uh, Grant Williams. And if you think Grant Williams isn't a big man, you haven't been paying attention. I mean, he, much more than Rob Williams, 
is matched up one on one with the opposing with the biggest with Jokic last night with Embiid, right? Because of his strength and his ability to hold his position uh, without fouling, the defense is just unbelievable. And what yeah. they did to Jokic, who whatever you want to say about Denver and Denver's limitations, with Jokic on the court, they're an yeah. offensive. You yeah. know, uh, they're they have a lot of firepower, and the Celtics are just just steamrolled them, absolutely steamrolled them and made Jokic look terrible. So, you know, so. It's a remarkable story. I don't remember. I don't remember in my life a Celtic team that I know last year there was a lot of COVID stuff and a lot of injuries that explains, I think their struggles last year, but they were about halfway through this season and just the same listless 500 ish team. And then since, you know, now they're up winning at a elite historic rate, like 21 and four. Yeah. I mean, the, I think one of the lessons here is about the, the, the reactionariness of NBA commentary. Right. And the, like w- the over responsiveness to individual games that you get mm-hmm. from the com- from the commentariat. Uh, from the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, but that obviously <laughs> filters through Twitter and where it's just like, you know, a bad November and December and people are like, blow it up, blow it up, blow it up. And thank God that smarter NBA executives aren't like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that sometimes you have to have a little bit of patience. And, uh, you know, anyway, I'm I'm not, who knows where this ends up, but I just... You know, you can't be reactive in that way. And no one should pay attention to most of these NBA talking heads who are, they just have to fill airtime and or they don't know what they're talking about. The only listen to me, I'm the only person, you know, <laughs> with a, a your peer reviewed sports analyst, Jonah Birch. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm very excited yeah. to see. Um, I'm very excited to see how the East, the East playoffs especially go. Um, you know who scares the shit out of me? You know, guess, uh, guess which team towards the bottom of you know who it is. Who, oh, who Toronto. Should scare, yeah, Toronto, obviously. Toronto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Toronto is yeah. Toronto is something else, and they've been they've been playing really well for a while now too. My dream is coming true, which is Brooklyn having to if Brooklyn finishes eighth and Toronto finishes seventh that Brooklyn would have to play the first play-in game in Canada where Kyrie won't be allowed. And then if they lose that game, they have to come home and host uh, a win or your out game, possibly in a Brooklyn where Kyrie can't play. It's amazing. I, I'm dreaming. Like, that means more to me than anything the Knicks can do the rest of the season. In the draft, in their, I don't care. Like, I would, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat even if it meant the Knicks drafting like another Nilakina or another Knox, I would totally take it. Have you been, by the way, scouting out the the any of the draft prospects? I mean, do you have a list yet of players? Yeah. That you're, um, I mean, is, if you had the top pick right now, do you have a Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, any, you know? That's interesting because I have almost entirely been thinking around the four pick because yeah, like, well, because the Knicks never move up at all. And because 
Stacy Patton, who I do um, the Believe Knicks podcast with, has been raving for months and months and months about Jaden Ivey before anybody yeah. was even really talking about him. So I've just, for the whole year, he's been my dream. I even thought about Holmgren or Smith. If the Knicks won the top pick, I would probably be inclined to take Jabari Smith because I uh, I wrote about this today. I, I really, I don't know what's going on with Julius Randle, but I don't think the concerns there anymore can strictly be well, he's struggling a bit from the field. Like I'm seeing too many things that make me think, I don't know if long-term this is a guy you want. And if that's the case, then suddenly you have a hole and a 6'10 guy like Smith who can shoot from everywhere. And I mean, I I would take him. I'm not sure about Holmgren. I, I think because of the, the Porzingis thing, I know they're not the same person at all, but giant body types that have never had long-term success in the NBA scare me. Um, yeah, particularly when those giant body types are subjecting that body to pressures that we're not used to seeing. So Ivy excites me. My friends, the people I know who really follow the college game a lot as, as scouts um, are pretty high in Manchero also. They think he's pretty good. I I need to watch uh, some more of the games. I hear a lot about Mathurin, but I haven't seen him really much. Um, yeah, the, usually now, this is around the time of the year that I start like diving in and, and doing like scouting reports and stuff. Uh, what about you? What have you, have you seen anyone in the tournament that has opened your eyes? Yeah, or I confirmed? mean, mainly I, I wanted to, I said, stay away from Chad Holmgren, you know, who, as the Argentine times say, tiene pinta. He, he just has the look. He has the <laughs> look of someone who is not going to, it's not going to work out, you know, but, uh whatever yeah and you know i don't know but i'm not a gonzaga guy you know in general right you know yeah uh i will say can i can i just i watched after north carolina beat the ever-living shit out of uh my uh marquette golden eagles uh uh, yeah i mean whatever it was uh it was an ass whooping of epic proportions I watched yeah. the UNC Baylor game. I heard that and, on the radio. Uh, did you really? Yeah. Um, I I was so, I, you know, I don't even want to like. I was so pissed at the refereeing, which I I did not. I you know I, I yeah I mean I thought it was ridiculous that the North Carolina guy uh, Manic whatever was I, I thought it was mm-hmm. ridiculous he was kicked out i was offended by that uh it, it let baylor get back in the game um i did think that uh sohan or is that his name on baylor who i i mean i barely watched any ncaa but uh i thought he was an intriguing player um mm-hmm. you know not as a top top pick but I was so I was so angry at the refereeing in that game. It it, it uh, offended my sensibilities so much. I had to root for UNC out of a uh, just an <laughs> overdeveloped sense of justice. You know, uh, I respect that. You're bringing a little ethics yeah. to your to your sports viewingship. And I'm not. Let's be honest. I'm not an ethical person. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm deeply immoral, or they, at least they amoral. Push you far, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I respect yeah. that. I respect that. Yeah, are you anyway. uh, are you rooting for Mike Shashevsky and his swan song? Only, only if it'll make Jason Tatum happy. Uh, listen, I actually don't <laughs> give a shit about 
any of the college basketball at this point. I mean, I, I am actually. I mean, I'm watching because the turn the tournament's been great so far, and it's such a great it, it's a great event. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. anything that will make Jason Tatum happy makes me happy. You know, <laughs> I just want him to be happy in his life, and you know, and that's that's all I care about. Be careful, John. I've been learning. I've been learning a lot about codependency, and that sounds a little. You want to be careful there. You don't want to get codependent I'm, I'm, with Jason Tatum. I am codependent. I'm Jason sad. Uh, how have you been learning about codependency? That's great. Is this through therapy? It is. In you fact, know. it is. Wow. Um, nice. It's one of the. There's a. There's apparently an abundance of psychological terms that I have always taken to be a very literal definition, and I'm learning that I was wrong about. And yeah. I thought codependency was people who people who cannot like live without another person, but that's not exactly yeah. what it is. Um, what is it? So it's more that you are someone, if you are codependent, you will constantly um, kind of subjugate yourself to trying to keep the other person happy just to like keep them around. That is codependency. Okay. Well, that sounds like a recipe for a healthy relationship to me. I don't know what to tell you. you know? <laughs> there may be some cultural biases in these definitions. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, so can I, can we talk about one other NBA thing? Go ahead. You of have, course. Oh, no, we can always do more NBA stuff. Go ahead. So I want to talk about the Lakers, but more I want to talk about the show that I have not watched called Winning Time, uh, which everyone is talking about. Yes. Yeah. Um, made by, uh, you know, uh, Adam McKay, who's a lefty, he's made some wonderful films, yeah. you know. It's based on the book by Jeff Perlman. Right. Okay, so here's here's why I won't watch it. Is it true that Red Auerbach is the villain in this movie, I mean, in the show, <laughs> and they paint him out to be a racist? Is that is that what's happening here? All I know, you know is that he's he's played by the great Michael Chiklis, who was the commish. And the shield and the thing and the very bad Fantastic Four movies. I don't know anything else. I don't know anything else about it. I know Adrian Brody is Pat Riley. I know nothing about the show. Nothing. Let me say something. If that's true, I'm going to organize a boycott of HBO. I'm going to pick it outside of Adam McKay's house for the lies that he is he he tells here. And Jerry fucking Bus is the hero here. That's what's happening. Uh, I, unbelievable! I, I have to tell I, I, you. Makes, you know, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I have to tell you that. Um, well, first of all, I, I don't. This is a very weird development. But I remember our very first episode with a guest. We had Dave Zirin in, and right. the episode began with Dave and I giving you a bunch of shit about the Celtics, and he talked about the scene and do the right thing when the Celtic fan steps on um, bugging out shoe. And there's that whole exchange in Brooklyn between bugging out and the white guy. And I remember you like very effectively pleading your case about the Celtics having this, this unjust reputation for racism, given a very progressive, as good a progressive, you know, or, origin story as any team in, in sports and in the, in the major sports, I would say, given, um, you know, their stance early on, I think Chuck Cooper was his name was the first black player who the Celtics drafted. Yeah. Uh, the same yep. year, I think that Nat Clifton came out, and they hired Bill Russell as the first um, black head coach in all of sports. Um, so I yeah, have to tell I you mean, that, they like, had the first I, black all, all black starting five, 
The first yes. black head coach. It's the first black player drafted into the NBA. That's right. Yeah. All of that. Go ahead. So I read something recently. Again, it was a it was about uh the owner back in the day who drafted Cooper because John Philadelphia's Brown, is that his name? Maybe, maybe Philadelphia's owner stood up and and like publicly said some when, when he announced that they were drafting Cooper, um, said something, you know, don't you realize like he's a black man? And the Celtics owner like defended the pick anyway. And I know from reading um Joshua Mendelson's book, The Cap, talks about that same owner when Tommy Heinsohn was head of the players union, um, despite a lot of the player owner antagonism, like Heinsohn and a lot of like they really liked that owner. They really thought he was a, a fair man and a good. Who man. was the owner? It wasn't John Y. Brown. That was later. Who was it? It was. Uh, I'll have to. I have the book. I will find it before this episode ends. We right. will articulate right. whoever this owner. Is. So I just read something this week again that made me realize. Like I, I feel like those comedians, like Jerry Seinfeld, will complain that like he can't tell the kind you can't tell jokes anymore as comedians because. People are so offended. And I think like, fuck you, Seinfeld. And I realized like, I cannot make jokes anymore about the racist ass Celtics because like, I've learned yeah. too much. I can't do it. No. I can't do it. Cause you'd be a liar, a liar, I would be a liar. I would be defaming history and playing into some pretty nasty things. So there's something I've learned. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And was it, what was Jerry Buss like a real estate magnet or something? That's what he was before. I he believe Lakers? so. Oh so. yeah, those just I'm sure he's a wonderful, wonderful progressive guy. Yeah, you know, owning all those, you know, West LA apartment buildings or whatever. I'm sure it's just uh he's a you know, a real you know, what a, a paragon of woke virtue. I'm sure that's true. You know, anyway, go ahead. You're gonna move, okay, we're gonna move on because you're about to turn Jerry Buzz into Donald Sterling. I'm gonna move on yeah, to yeah, a I am. now. <laughs> um one story from the world of English soccer that I wanted to ask you about. Um, once again, we have another season of City and Liverpool coming down to the wire. City is only a point ahead, um, and the two teams will play in a couple of weeks, not only for the league title, but they are also, they could meet in the Champions League final, and they could meet, I believe, in the FA Cup final, or they're meeting in this, like they're meeting all over the place. But the really interesting story this week coming out about Man City, particularly in light of the British government's recent actions towards uh, Roman Abramovich. Oh my God, I can't remember his name now. Is it Roman? No. Yeah, Roman. Roman. Yeah, yeah. Roman Abramovich um, being forced to sell Chelsea under sanctions because of his Russianness. Um, while there's a conflict um, between Russia and Ukraine that British has gone, Britain has gone against Ukraine, there was a story in the Athletic by Jacob Whitehead about um, Manchester City's owner, Sheikh Mansour, who um, is now under fire from the British government for a meeting with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Mansour is the Deputy Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates. They are the first Arab country to welcome uh, al-Assad since the Syrian war began. Um, And now Chris Bryant, who's the Labour MP who made a lot of the initial noise about Abramovich and thinking he should be stripped of his ownership is now um, saying that, quote, he, he doesn't know if Mansour is, quote, a fit and proper person to be owning a football club and that, quote, it, it would be, quote, good to see the back of him. I don't know who the fuck Chris Bryant thinks would be a good person to own a football club. I'm assuming they're white. 
Um, that's just me. But, or, or Western European, whatever. This is a weird story. No, I mean, I, you know, I think it's complicated. I, I think there's a reckoning happening in the Premier League. And people with very good progressive politics are saying, you know, it's a real problem. I mean, I saw, yeah, they're saying it's a problem that we have ownership that's made it so much money in really un- unethical ways. And now, okay, fine. You can say on the one hand, well, what rich people have not made their, you know, right their their money in unethical ways. But yeah, so I'm not sure that it is just conservative right-wing people saying this out of racism. I saw a great clip with Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville talking about how they were reevaluating their positions on on this and they, you know, that it had been great all of this money coming in from around the world to make the Premier League the best league in the world, which it is, you know, absolutely as opposed to let's say the 1990s when it was, I don't know, the third best league in Europe, fourth best maybe. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, depending on the year. And now they're saying, well, but there are real issues. There are ethical issues and moral issues. And there is something, but I mean, people, it's kind of a sports equivalent to pinkwashing. Teams are trying, I mean, these people are trying to like cleanse the stench off their money by investing it in top level football Right. And and having these really successful clubs. And, you know, I, I I'm not sure that Russian oligarchs or people in the leadership of the UAE or Saudi Arabia or, you know, should should have a place in, you know, in 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 global global football. I you know, I think that can be a, a, a statement of of political morality and social morality. I, I think there's something important there. And again, it's fine. You could say, well, how many governments have committed war crimes? Who are we to talk about Russian oligarchs when the United States, the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, the world's greatest purveyor of violence, as Martin Luther King said? Fine. I, you know, I concede all of that. Rich people are bad. The U.S. government is the worst of them all. But people are, are approaching this out of a place of goodwill. You know, and and out of morality, and and not out of racism, uh, I I think, or discrimination, fundamentally. You know. So let me ask you this then. Uh, obviously, we yeah. can't speak for, we don't know Chris Bryant at all. But is it coincidental that this? Who I sudden, think is a member of the Labor Party, right? I mean, he's a he he's a Labor guy. Yeah, he is. Um, for whatever that's worth. Is it so? Is it coincidental that this push, like, is this sudden push to articulate publicly concern for the morality of the game, is it coincidental that it's starting with non-British owners after, like, I hear what you're saying, and and I'm not subscribing to, like, you can't call out anyone because nobody's perfect. Like, I'm not drawing that kind of um, equivalence. But I don't know. I mean, maybe the argument would be that the the war, Russia's war in Ukraine has changed some things. Um, War does that. So I guess that's fair. Yeah, and clarified some things. Hmm. You know, I I think saying it's clarified some things makes a lot of sense. 
And I, I really re- re- want to resist the temptation for whataboutism, you know, in this as in all things. The, you know, the same way when the Israelis do it, you, it's dishonest and unethical, you know, for them to try and deflect criticism, uh, you know, of the endless human rights violations and by saying, well, what about all these other terrible things that happen, you know, and... I, I I think that's wrong here as well. And you know what? If you want to say the UAE, you know, should not be invested in the Premier League and neither should Russian oligarchs, that's great for me. And I would say yes and, not no but, right, to that. Mm-hmm. I would say yes and, and what about these other owners? Right. Not, you know, not, well, how, how dare you because you're not, you know, tackling all the, this person, that person, I, you know, I, I, I hate said. it when the, yeah, when the left does that, I hate it when the left says you can't say anything about X unless you also talk about Y. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, uh, utterly wrong way to approach these, these mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good point. That's yeah. We nice. have to rethink, I have to rethink my stance here on, on this monster. Wow. Story. wow really? It happens. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Tell my like students I made a good place. A good place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of unethical and un- uncomfortable, let's talk a little of the Deshaun Watson um, story this week. So, Watson was traded from the Texans to the Browns for a bunch of draft picks. Um, yep. He was fairly recently not indicted by the grand jury. Um, which a lot of people on Twitter seems to have a hard time understanding is not the same as being acquitted at trial. Um, and basically, as soon as he was in the legal clear, criminally at least, from all of these, um, I think it was 22 charges of sexual assault from 22 different women, um, as soon as that was legally under the rug, Houston traded him, got a, a very good return, um, I think, or certainly a fair one. Um, I don't even want to discuss the football part in- until I've at least considered, like, t- technically, like, no one did anything wrong. Like, he is not, as far as I understand now, he's not charged with anything um, because they decided there wasn't enough, I guess it was there wasn't enough evidence to indict or something. But this, and I don't know, I this this story is not... You know how, you know, groundwater evaporates up into the air and then eventually rains down again? Like, this story is not evaporating to me. It's just sitting there. There's something, I don't know. I just, I you know, they're going to try and sweep this under the rug because, yeah, of the, yeah that clearly the no criminal charges. That's it's a lot. lot. It's, that's a lot of accusations that follow yeah. the exact same pattern. And I don't want to hear any conspiracy theories you know, about why we should just disbelieve them all or it's just ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous and it's, it's totally unserious. And the Cleveland Browns, I don't care how desperate you are. I mean, look, morality in sports, it's, uh, I, you know, f- and football in particular, fine. You know, a lot of immoral people who have been allowed to get away with a lot of things own football teams, work for football teams, are involved in the NFL. And probably 
maybe more than any other sport, I would say. Yeah? I mean, major professional sport in the United States. Mm-hmm. But this is fucking ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And I, how can you accept this if you're, a, a, you know, a Browns fan? So, you know, after the Kareem Hunt thing, all on the same team, right? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's just absurd to me. So, I yeah. they, like, no one, did, did, did they, so they announced no criminal charges. And so clearly it was open season because every team was bidding on him. Now he's the highest paid player in the NFL. I Atlanta mean, wanted you know, him. Um, New Orleans. I, the Saints wanted him. Yep. I know yep. that uh, in the past, Miami had been linked to him. A lot of teams. And it, it's, it's I don't fill in with whatever adjective you want to. It's, it's blank that after all of this, Houston still got a pretty good return to get rid of him. Not that they're, you know, the heroes of the story, but. So weird, weirdly, in a in a in a trade that involves Baker Mayfield, Mayfield is um, probably easily the most likable player in the deal, despite being a quarterback that can rub a lot of people the wrong way. Do you have any feelings about where you think things go for him now? He's been pretty mediocre since he was drafted number one overall a few years ago. He did have a very good year last year, and I mean two years ago, and last season he had injury problems. The whole team did. Um, it's pretty. You know, it's funny. You know. Yeah, if they didn't already have a quarterback, I, I bet the Patriots would be really interested in him. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, supposedly, you know, they really liked him when he came out. Yeah. Um. But um, you know, a lot of talk I, that he wants that... to go to the Colts. There's been a lot of that talk about Indianapolis. Um. Yep. Yeah. That would be interesting. Uh, after the Carson Wentz experience, that <laughs> won't Colts fans love that? Um, he is. He, <laughs> um, uh, what about the Jets? The Jets are still a year or two away from ruining Zach Wilson, so they don't need uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, yeah. And the Giants still seem committed to uh, Daniel Jones, and I don't think. Neither New York team would take him at this point, and I'm not sure that New York is a place that would take that guy anyway. He has yeah. problems with, you know, the press in Cleveland. Um, that's a different animal. I don't, I don't see that working for them at all. Um, yeah. I hope he made a lot of money off those commercials, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about, like, so if Aker Mayfield's career kind of, like, you know, let's say the best let, – let's say he never plays on a team that that good again and he lose, you know – He's not the the big public figure that he was. Brady Quinn years ago used to do a lot of like Gatorade commercials and shit. And it always strikes me that like kids today never you'll never see Brady Quinn and know that that guy did commercials. I feel like that's going to be Baker Mayfield in like five or ten years. Like people are not going to believe you know that that guy did commercials. You know, but hey, the the, the money has no memory. You know, <laughs> that's very true. I'm sure he's, I mean, you know what? Whatever decisions he's made in life have led him to where he is, and he's doing okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he make that bank. Yep, he's doing all right. Um, speaking of bank and what the hell happened to it, we're going to turn to Major League Baseball. And interesting this week, there were two excellent shortstops 
signed to nine-figure contracts. Neither one of those teams was the New York Yankees, who are in need of a shortstop. Uh, the Minnesota Twins kind of shocked the world by getting Carlos Correa on a good deal. Um, it's a yeah. three-year deal for a hundred, I think, a hundred five million. But he has an option after the first and the second year. Yep. Um, and the Red Sox, your Boston Red Sox, Jonah Birch, signed Trevor Story uh, to oh god, I think it was a hundred forty, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, um, six years, one hundred forty million. Yep. Thank you, thank you. Uh, first of all, just as a Red Sox fan. Are you concerned at all about a guy having the splits that he seems to between what he did at Coors Field and what he did when he hit on the road? Yeah. Yes, I am. Um, Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, people seem very confident that he'll he'll hit at least. Uh, If he is a second baseman, which... That's what I... I Yeah, they're going to play him at second. Yeah. I read they're going to play Bogarts at short. Yeah, even though Bogarts is a much worse defensive player, uh, you know, but that'll be that'll be a hell of an offensive infield, right? You know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Devers, uh, Bogarts, Story, and then I guess you know, uh, uh, Dahlbeck at uh, at first. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I mean, I I wonder if um, it means Bogarts is gone. He's going to be a free agent to get for next year. The Red Sox top prospect is a, a shortstop. So, you know, they have some young mm. players coming up, um, you know, through the minors, but yeah, I, I mean, they, it should, they have a, they have, they have a solid lineup for next year at least. Right. So that's something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know the twins and their fan base was elated. They're calling this the, the best, the biggest deal that they've ever signed. Someone to wow. came out of nowhere. They were not linked to Correa at all. And so, of course, my joy in this story is that the papers the next day in New York are all like, the Yankees couldn't give him three years and 100 with options. Like, the Yankees wouldn't because they're the Yankees. But do we pour one out, Jonah Birch, for your once once feared tormentors in the Bronx? Yeah, do we pour one out for them? Yeah. No, I mean, I you know, that era is over. Maybe they're trying to, you know, build something more sustainable, right? I mean, which makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, I don't know what what the strategy is, but papering over cracks through free agent signings, you know, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make much sense. Um, but does it feel to you like the Red Sox or the Twins are papering over a crack with these moves? No. No, but the Red Sox have more of a foundation, don't you think, than the Yankees do? I mean, I'm they very were obviously... confused by the Yankees. Very confused right now. I don't know what to call. I don't know what their ethos is anymore. I don't even. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I yeah, really I don't, know. don't know. Yeah. But I am not at all bothered. I'm enjoying it very much. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's fun. So. It's good. You know. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, I got one last question for you today, Jonah Birch, which is, take it back to the NBA. Um, Who would you say is the greatest passer that you've ever seen? Not necessarily the flashiest, although it might be, but as far as the NBA, 
who would you say is the the greatest passer you have watched in your lifetime? Holy shit! What a question. Tough one. There's yeah, no I wrong mean, answers. You got to say Marcus Smart is up there. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, am I kidding? Sort of. Oh wow, the greatest. It's Pritchard passer. and then Smart. <laughs> well, uh, okay. What do we mean by greatest? I mean, look. <laughs> Was Jason Williams the greatest passer you've ever seen when he was on the Kings? He's got to be up there. In terms of flash, yes. I guess what I mean, I mean more is not – I mean more the greatest producer of points for his teammates. You know who I always loved was Andre Miller. I, I mean, I don't know. What, look, Miller, was professor. it Magic Johnson? Yeah, yeah, the professor. Was it Magic Johnson? I, You know, is that the right answer? Uh, that seems reasonable. Is LeBron James anywhere on your list? LeBron James is a great passer. Is a great passer. Uh, I yes. I mean, in terms of uh, that's this is what's so complicated about these questions. In terms of producing points for his team, I mean, he has to have some of the largest on-off splits offensively, right? Uh, uh, of any yes. great player in history, he must. Yes. You know. All those Cleveland teams and, you know, then he was at his peak with Miami. Yeah, LeBron James is definitely up there. LeBron James is an amazing basketball player. Do you think passing is his best skill? Between shooting, passing, defense, let's say. um, What do you think LeBron's best skill has been in over his? It's tough. It's obviously tough. And again, yeah, there's no wrong know. answer. He might be leading the le- he might lead the league this year at 30 a game, at age 37. Like you can't go wrong with any answer that you give. So, do you think he's obsessed with winning the scoring title? Is that the is that the rumor, the story? Like, I don't think he's I don't think he's obsessed with it, but I think it's it's become a goal that he wants to hit. I don't think it's his driving. You know, I think if he if he could sign up for one more ring. Or to win the scoring title, he'd rather have the ring. I mean, I think I think that LeBron James's greatest skill historically was finishing at the rim. You know, mm. uh, uh, at like, I, of which I, I'm at his peak. I never saw anyone who could finish at the rim the way he could. But mm-hmm. how do you choose? He was such a great defender, and then yes. right, like you're saying, he was the focal point of an offense. Probably outside shooting was not never his greatest skill, but he got better. Uh, you know, um, I, but yeah, I mean, he was a points machine, but and then a defensive steamroller. Uh, you know, yeah. If he ends up as the um, the, all-time uh, the, the, the reason I'm asking this, yeah, he passed yeah. Carmelo this week. Um, Yep. to become second all-time in points, only behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So LeBron James, I'm going to look it up right now. What in Now, what of, would you say Carl Malone's greatest skill was? And and was it losing to Akeem Olajuwon? Is it, was that his greatest Carl skill? Malone, you know? by far and away, Carl Malone's greatest skill was avoiding prosecution for impregnating a 13-year-old <laughs> when he was in it's college. Oh, sorry, are we on the air? Sorry, I didn't know that. Um <laughs> So if we look at assists all time, NBA assists all time, LeBron James right now is seventh on the list. He's right behind Magic Johnson. If LeBron James ends up top five, like let's say fifth all time in assists and number one overall in points, and you know about the defense, 
is it impossible to say that Michael Jordan is better than someone who ends up number one in points, number five in assists, I believe top 30 in rebounds, if you care. And like, is there is there anything LeBron James can accomplish between now, anything he could reasonably accomplish between now and the day he retires that would cement he is above Michael Jordan? No. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I, I... <laughs> No, I know this question can be tiresome. It interests me only in the sense of like how many incredible things can someone accomplish and yeah, still sure. have there be the art. You know that that's why it interests me. That's totally legitimate. I mean, he's it's an incredible accomplishment, you know. And he at his peak was almost Jordan, and will have the longevity of a Kareem, right? Yeah. You know and. That, that that's an amazing combination, and he's an amazing player, and he is a, uh, uh, you know, probably the best basketball player I've ever seen with my my own two eyes. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't. It's a different league now. It's a different day and age. Health recovery is different. It's all so different. Yeah, it means something different than, uh, and you know. Then it did. I would also say, you know, the fact that Carl Malone, who was a great player, however much everyone dislikes mm-hmm. him for mm-hmm. for legitimate reasons, is number two all time on the scoring list, says something about the scoring list and how much we should value that as a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, he's just, yeah, I mean, he's he was a great player. He wasn't that great a player, but. I feel trapped, caught, but I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I don't want to downplay any of these accomplishments. They're unbelievable. The right. same way going to eight straight finals was incredible. And then on the other hand, I, I you know, it's not going to convince me that LeBron James was better than Michael Jordan. Hmm. What about you? I don't know. I, I always root against LeBron's teams to win because I feel like he shouldn't need to – He, I don't think – it should come down to how many rings he ends up with, given especially that he has four and everything else that goes with it. I'm I'm just more intellectually curious as someone who lived through Michael Jordan's second half of his of his Chicago career, winning all the titles and everything. Like, like I was thinking about this earlier. The Kareem record is like I remember as a kid. When when you would see like okay Hank Aaron is the all time home run record okay it's seven hundred fifty five, so you would do the math and realize that if you played for twenty years, which is very very rare, and if you hit thirty five home runs every single season for twenty years, you'd still be fifty five behind him. Like it makes it seem oh my god like that's impossible, and to me when I looked at the, the Kareem numbers, you basically you would have to basically average. 80 games a year for 20 years, which again, unheard of. And you'd have to score 25 a game every single game. Like, so the combination of, oh my God, someone has literally done something and not like a Bonds fluky, like, okay, you know, Brady Anderson hitting 50. Like, this is, I have to say, like you said, Kareem, um, like sustainability of Kareem. I literally, the only athlete I have ever seen in my life in a team sport excel 
to the degree that LeBron James has, and even this person comes up short, is Yarmir Yager in in hockey. He's the only person. He's the only one because he he literally he's never as dominant at his at his peak vis a vis the rest of his sport as LeBron was. He maybe was a great not. Player, but come on, even at, a, he, at when he was a goal scoring machine, like at the beginning of his career on those Penguins teams. Right. He wasn't the best player on the team, right? Was he? I mean, wasn't Mario Lemieux the best I would player say on Lemieux, that team? I would say Lemieux was, but I would say when Lemieux was out um, with the um, – he had a lot of back problems and the the, the Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, when Lemieux was out, Yager took on, I think, even more of a role and, and still excelled, um, though obviously, you know, had a, a better time when he was playing alongside Lemieux. The thing that I find remarkable most in Yager's case is not, I'm not saying he's LeBron, where like LeBron has literally since the day he came into the league has been at the top and has been there for 20 years. The thing with Yager is more like he came into the sport when I was in junior high school and he literally retired like three years ago. Like that's amazing to me. He wasn't at the top the whole time, but I had always thought, People who he was relevant, you know, he wasn't a kicker who kicks for like 30 years. Like he was relevant. He was, yeah, he was yeah. always involved. So for LeBron, it amazes me, not, not because it settles the question of LeBron versus Jordan, because I don't think there's ever an answer, but it amazes me in the sense of like, first of all, to witness someone accomplish something that I, I literally never thought was possible. Like LeBron's production doesn't make sense to me. And to recognize that, Someone can be that incredible for that long and still reasonably to a lot of people, maybe not be above Michael Jordan because that's how good Michael Jordan was. And then that makes me think, you know what? And I always think this when people talk about Jordan versus LeBron. If you study Bird in the mid-80s or you look at Summer Magic's production or Julius serving between the ABA or and the NBA, and then you go back a little bit further, like, it makes me more appreciative of how many incredible players get kind of tossed aside in these historical conversations because we can only focus on the last couple. Yeah, and and just to say, I mean, Bird and Magic, if they were, they were incredible, were, incredible. Uh, and today they wouldn't have spent as well, they would have been in the league earlier, right? Yes. I mean, Larry yeah. Bird didn't come into the NBA until he was what twenty three. You, you yeah. know. And imagine uh, Bird with Tatum the medical, you know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tatum just turned 24. Yeah. So it just is a different – and by the way, Tatum just passed Ray Allen for third on the, I think, all-time Celtics three-point list. He just passed wow. Ray Allen for third. Yeah, wow. I mean, he's still – well, he's behind, I believe, Antoine, and then well <laughs> behind Pierce. He's a 1,000 three-pointers behind Paul Pierce. But yeah, I'm just saying it's – you know, you know he's going to be on the Celtics presumably for this contract and at least one more after this. I suspect, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, he's going to set all kinds of records. You know, anyway, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just a different time, you know, mm -hmm. is what I would say. So, you ever heard of a, a guy, a player named Purvis Short? Yes, I never heard of him till about a year ago. Played on Golden State in the early 80s. Um, averaged like 29 a game one season. There's so wow. many like incredible players that nobody knows anything about. So 
I'm not going to follow that with the Hori. Like, I hate in sports media when people are like, they'll, they'll say shit like, oh, people don't give so-and-so enough respect. And meanwhile, so-and-so is a million-dollar athlete, and you're the dumb asshole in the media who's not talking about this person. So I'm can not going to play that. Yeah. Can I read you Purvis Short's scoring and field goal percentage averages? Purvis Short can in score, 19, man. In 82-83... He scored 21.4 a game on 487 field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. 83 84, he scored 22.8 on 473. 84 85, he scored 28 a game on 46% shooting. 85 86, he, short, he scored 25 and a half a game on 482 field goal. Yeah. And he's shooting 80, you know, uh, he led the league in free throw percentage in 86, apparently. Yeah, uh, and he led the league in three point percentage in eighty four, eighty five. Purvis Short could score, huh? Nobody knows these people. When you were saying before, and I think a lot of people do feel this way, like Carl Malone. All right, like he could score, but like, was he that good a player? I'm pretty sure Carl Malone was all defense like four or five times. But don't don't. Uh, I'm not all. I'm, I'm just saying that like I don't think I don't. I think that gets lost to history. Like I think people yeah. forget. I just saw this great stat: Joel Embiid has scored 40 or more this year, I think 11 times. Do you know the last center to score 40 or more that many times in a season? Was it Wilt? No. no. We're going to end the show uh, okay. on this. Wow, on wow, this wow, wow, wow. Okay. The last center was it a, to was it a Was it Akeem? No. Not well, a David Robinson. Oh, nope. Shaq. Shaq. Had to be Shaq. Nope. nope. Fuck, who? Patrick Ewing, 1990. Oh, I should have guessed. But that's the thing. No, like even Pat, I'm always on this 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 soapbox. Even Patrick Ewing has already slipped in history's memory where he shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, Carmelo was a great player. Who, by the way, people forget his mid range game was devastating. Deadly. Right? Deadly. Uh, yeah, absolutely devastating. Uh, on that little pick, the little pick and pop he he would do yep. was stop. I mean, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, except in, at, at the end of game sixes and, uh, you know, when, <laughs> when his turnover game was, was uh-huh. His turnover game was on point in game sixes. It was on fleek. As, <laughs> 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 All right. Before we carbon date ourselves anymore, I'm going to call an end to this episode. Um, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, please remember, you can follow the Jackman Sports Show on Twitter at Jackman Sports and email us at jackamansports at gmail.com our producer is the smoldering Connor Gillies we will see you all next week